Joining us today by phone from Los Angeles is a legend of electronic music, uh, a man whose head-twisting drummer bass productions blew clubbers' minds in the 90s, uh, someone who's received three Grammy nominations and remixed everyone from David Bowie to Daft Punk. Uh, it's Rupert Parks, a.k.a. Fotek. Rupert, how are you doing? I'm good. Thanks for having me on. It's an absolute pleasure. So you've just released uh, the original motion picture soundtrack to Mosul, which is a documentary centering on the battle to reclaim Mosul from Islamic State. How, yes. how did you end up doing that? Um, well, I met the, uh, the, um, the creator of the documentary and, and director, um, Dan Gabriel. I met him through um, a friend. He, uh, Dan's an old friend of, um, of another friend I know from L.A., and he introduced us and he thought we'd be a good fit. And, uh, you know, he told me, hey, he's about to go into post on this documentary. You guys should meet. And we met the same day that he mentioned it to me. He happened to be in town. We hit it off immediately. Um, musically, we were, we were we were totally in tune from the beginning. And um, that's how it began. You know, a month later, I was working on the movie. Me as being an exceptionally difficult thing to do, because, I mean, this is something where, you know, you've got a lot of... Um, different things you have to think about, different cultures, different... I mean, it's, it's a difficult subject. Um, yes. How, how did you do that? I mean, did you have these things at the back of your mind always, or did you just sort of try to make the music without thinking too much about it? How, how did it happen? No, I actually thought about that very carefully, and I, I decided after talking to Dan, the, the director, um, you know, he he was he was uh, into the approach that that I came up with. I basically wanted to make it half electronic, half regional, um, so I could do my kind of texture textural thing, but I could also um, sort of support the narrative of, of the documentary in, in a in a you know a good storytelling way at the same time. And um, my main concern was, would I be able to deliver regional sounding music, being that I'm not from the region? Just by, you know, just by going from uh, my musical taste or stuff that appealed to me. And I kind of had to sit with that doubt for a while until I actually met, um, at one of the screenings, I met uh, one of the, an interpreter who worked um, in Mosul. He was actually from Mosul. And I said to him, hey, is the music sound legit to you? And he said, wow, you did an amazing job. It was, it was um, you know, not bad for a Westerner. <laughs> I was uh, pretty happy about that. What is the role of music in a film like this? Well, I think in this in this film, it's it's to support to support, I guess, the experience that I imagine these people are going through in some way to tell to help tell their story because it's a very um, Iraqi centric story. Um, it's it, I guess it's not the usual, you know, um, for, foreigner in a foreign land kind of thing. So I think to try and support their point of their point of view and the suffering that those people went through, in a respectful a way that's not over dramatic, you know that you're not um, belittling their, their experience, but still to make something that's that's engaging and compelling to a, a viewer who knows nothing about the the conflict or, or the region, you know. And you talked about sort of getting that that local music. Um, flavor for want of a better mm -hmm. word how, how did you do that did you sort of immerse yourself in that kind of music to, to do that yeah i mean I, basically a, a quick bit of recon you know just like what i usually do on anything if i'm working on any kind of project i'll i'll, I'll do a, a reasonable amount of um diligence just listening to a lot of stuff trying to get a feel for for um you know what my um 
what my expectation is versus what what the actual reality is of instrumentation and that kind of thing um so you know quick bit of research same as i would do on on any other project so i want to play something from uh the soundtrack now um is, is there a particular track you would like to play off it that you think really sort of sums up what it is you've done somewhere where you where you thought you got it really really perfectly well i think one of my my favorite passages in the, in the movie is is um it contains sort of three cues in sequence um the first of which is heading to work and that's where um we go with a with an iraqi special operations team through the streets of mosul trying to neutralize a sniper an isis sniper so there's a really uh, a really nice uh, passage of music which leads from heading to work into drones into proceed those are the, the the track titles so i think heading to work is a favorite of mine perfect let's listen, let's listen to that So that was uh, Heading to Work 
by Fotec off the uh, Mosul soundtrack. Um, I wanted to ask, like, um, you compared, you, you said that fans of your, your early Fotec material will hear some of that original mood and texture coming through in, in this score. What kind of examples can you give of that? Where does it come through? Well, I think the, the best example of that is... Um is refugees the the queue refugees which is a, a scene where um we're watching iraqi national forces vetting refugees crossing a river trying to weed out any suicide bombers or or um isis members within the within the refugees trying to make the river crossing to escape the battle and in that scene it really almost sounds like um classic photek minus the beats if you can imagine yeah. So um, a lot of the palette that I would have used on, on similar to modus operandi, similar to Ni Ten Ichi Ryu, similar to the to those kind of, I think, sort of um, very typical Fotec soundtracks. Um, so yeah, Refugees is, I think, the best example of Fotec sound in this score. Would you be tempted to do a version that added the beats? Or is that not kind of, does that not seem right for this kind of music? Well, I think it, yeah, I mean, definitely that, that cue in particular. I think the end title credits almost sounds like it's going to break into a drum and bass thing at a certain point. Um, yeah, it did cross my mind. And I actually thought, well, you know, how many, what could I do project-wise if I was to pull all of these tracks from the soundtrack into a drum and bass kind of big remix project? How would that pan out? And uh, I guess it would be, the question would be how much of it would make that worthwhile, if you see what I mean. Yeah, how much would be how, worth... how many of these would translate in a worthwhile way? I think there's, there's certainly a few, maybe four or five, um, four or five cues on this album would, would make good drum and bass tracks if you added beats. I'd certainly be interested. <laughs> Definitely listen. <laughs> yeah, it's something I thought about. I, I guess time and schedule permitting, maybe I'll explore that a bit more. I'm interested, actually, like... Um, it seems like people who produced drum and bass um, in the 90s uh, went into lots of uh, lots of different things, lots of different productions. Um, the kind of example I'm thinking of at the moment is, is well, people like Adam F going into hip-hop production. Um, what do you think you sort of learnt from producing brum, drum and bass that you, that you take into the soundtrack work? Well, it's interesting that people kind of branched off into into those areas because I feel like um, those are the some of those are the core elements that that combine to make drum and bass. It's kind of an eclectic form of music. I so and I think actually that's one of the one of the um, I guess defining techniques of drum and bass is pulling in different influences into this this kind of rigid form that 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 depends on tempo um, and energy and. Um, yeah, kind of patchworking different things into into one one track, like different influences into one sound. So I think that's something that I definitely learned from from drum and bass was how to incorporate different forms of music into the and then kind of seamlessly integrate them into a new form of music. And I think the other thing is um, production, just production technique, and being at the cutting edge of trying out new ideas in in terms of technique was something I got from from drum and bass. I think drum and bass was um, at the leading edge of musical technique for a long time. I think the rest of the music has caught up a bit now, and that 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 that's come full circle where everybody who 
produces electronic music it has the same outlook but certainly in the 90s drum and bass was was very much about um, combining influences and, and pushing the boundaries of, of um, the technical approach I mean I, I would say especially your productions from back there obviously there were lots of fantastic drum and bass producers and, and there still are but particularly your um, in the 90s the kind of productions you made always really struck out stuck out to me as being particularly advanced how, how did you get those kind of sounds how did you get that kind of advance was it just hours and hours and hours and hours in the in the studio or were you musical <laughs> I, think, I think it's really that simple I, th- I think there are there are definitely other producers who are more technically educated but i was just technically adventurous and i was just very diligent and relentless in putting in the time in the studio and just trying a different thing just trial and error relentlessly putting the time in I mean, it was some somewhat of an obsession for for many years, just seeing what I could get out of these machines and how I could misuse a sampler from the way it were from from what it was intended for to what I could um, use it for. So, um, yeah, te- technically by the book, I would not be the most advanced, but probably just the most relentless. I think. Uh, was there a moment when you realised that you were doing something unique, that something other people weren't doing? Yeah, I think I think there was a core group of drum and bass people who who knew that they were. That was kind of their mission, almost, you know. And it, it it wasn't mandated or anything. I think we were just all looking for something something new and and, ex- and, and incredible. And we'd come through a, I guess, a generation of, of bands like just just standard band kind of format music um there was the genesis of hip-hop and electro and, and electro at the time which was really exciting and it was almost like okay what can we do about the whole band situation <laughs> you know that, at least that's how i felt like what well, there must be more than this than gu- gu- guitar bass and drums come on we can do better than that before we go back to talk about the soundtrack, I wanted to play a, a, a tune, um, fr- one of your tunes from the '90s. I hope you, you'll indulge me. Um, yeah. I, I've I've got a favourite, um, but w- which what tune of yours from then are you are you happiest with? Or see if it in, coincides with mine. Well, I think the f- this is how I uh, how I view it now with with hindsight. I think the first perfect perfect record that I made was the UFO Rings Round Saturn single. Right. That was, so that was, I think that was um, Photek 5, the release number 5 on the label, if I remember rightly. And I think that's my favourite. Either side of that that single would be my favourite. It's the first time where I was like, wow, I wouldn't change a thing. Now, there's other tracks for sure that I love, but those were the kind of, um, you know, highest scoring. And in, in, if I was grading my own music, I'd, I'd pick that, that particular single. Should we go for Rings Around Saturn? Let's do it. Perfect.
Okay, that was Rings Around Saturn, um, an old Photek classic um, from 1995, I believe. Um, <laughs> it's a long time. <laughs> uh, we're talking to Photek about, about his soundtrack work. How did you get into doing soundtracks? It seems like a very... In, in one way, it seems like almost a logical leap from what, what you were doing before. In another way, it seems kind of unlikely. How did it happen? Well, I think, first of all, I was so inspired by film music and, and films were a lot of the inspiration for the music I was making. So in that way, it was very natural. Like, I I, I would always hear sounds and, 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 and musical scores from films and think, oh, that's what I, I want to incorporate that into a track, almost more than, than other records. So that, that was a kind of a natural place for me, um, sonically. But it really began when I was um, on tour in, and I was in, in, in the US and I was in Los Angeles and I, I was signed to Virgin Records at the time. And they were approached by Paramount Pictures for a collective of artists to work on a, on a TV um, series they were developing. And it was a co-production with Jet Li and Mel Gibson. And um, I happened to be the only one of the, the roster who was in town at the time who they wanted to speak to. And I ended up just getting the job, and they said, "Oh, you know, we, we we love we love your your ideas. Why don't we just we'll make it about you?" So you know, the, the guy from Virgin Records was like, "Well, that wasn't the plan." <laughs> <laughs> you know, there's there's you know, Chemical Brothers and Massive Attack and all these other people, Daft Punk. You said that you wanted to talk to, and I just happened to be in town. You know, it was, I think it was that simple. Um, so off I went, and I scored my first TV series. Do you have like a favorite film soundtrack? Favorite film soundtrack would be would probably be Apocalypse Now, Oof. or Heat, the Michael Mann movie with Robert De Niro and Al Pacino. And what is it? What do they do well? Why, what what is so good about the music of them? Well, I think. Um, I mean, it's as, with Apocalypse Now, it's as much the, the entire soundtrack, the score and, 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 and licensed music all combined. And it's, it's just such a bizarre collection of, of sound in that movie, um, which I love. I mean, it, that's, that movie to me is the perfect storm. And I think from Heat, um, Heat as a score, it's this kind of really restrained tension um, and kind of impending impending uh, jeopardy that comes in that movie throughout from all of the music um, there's a bit of a thing um, a bit of a trend with um, electronic music producers that for sort of re-recording film soundtracks or doing film soundtracks um, for films that already have them if you see what I mean I think Jeff yeah. Mills for example would you ever do that? I mean, would you ever like think of doing something for Apocalypse Now, for example, or Heat, or, or or whatever? Or is it just best left? It's a tough one because obviously the ones that you love that you would want to work on, you think are, are, are kind of already good. <laughs> so it's almost like try and find a movie where you thought the camera and the story and the performances were great and the music was awful. That that would be the one to approach, and I can't think of any off the top of my head. Um, I mean, to me, it, I don't know if I'd I'd want to release the music or or the movie, but I would love to get either of those movies with all the music removed and just load them into my system and, and just play with it. 
I mean, that that would be really a dream come true. It's, it's pretty unusual to get the Finnish movie um, access to a Finnish movie without yeah the sound because you want the dialogue, you want all of the foley and effects um, because you want the the story the way it was. But to get that without the music, I mean, what a treat for any composer. And I think most composers would feel the same, you know. Um, once it's been done it's been done you know you'd have to get a movie that you really hated the music to actually want to do that for real it's interesting what you say about the source material because um, you've remixed people like uh, Bob Marley and David Bowie how do you do that like how I mean when because I I mean well obviously no one's going to ask me to do it but like if they were I'd be so intimidated by this David Bowie oh, yeah. song or this like Bob Marley <laughs> yes. song I wouldn't, I wouldn't I wouldn't touch it but how how I mean you're particularly your your, your David Bowie remix is absolutely is absolutely brilliant but how did you how did you go about it did you have to go no I'm just going to change it you know that's what I'm here to do you know what I had a struggle with that and and particularly you know more recently was the the Bob Marley remix um one love people get ready you know and that's from the legend <laughs> yeah just go for something obscure but there's, a, there's a few things that go through my mind i mean the first one which which actually i overcame like a while back in my in my career was if you don't do it someone else will right. you know this this project's moving ahead they're asking people to do it and it's either going to be you or i who knows dj clown boy who, who whatever guy's gonna make an absolute mess of of this remix so you you may as well that like someone's gonna step up um now i think the only time that that i declined on that base on the basis of i just don't want to touch it was bug in the bass bins by carl craig oh I, 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 I don't know what to do and i just want to leave it the way it is you know i i can't touch that i i have no idea um so back fast forward back to Bob Marley remix. Um, I mean, I listen to the to the acapellas. I listen to the multi track, and you know, and there's little outtakes in there that weren't in the in the finished version that we all know. And I just had to take a pause for a minute and just be like, "Wow, don't run, don't rush into this. This is a real this is a real privilege. Don't mess it up." And my mission is going to be to make something that that can stand the test of time so don't don't use sounds that are only you know this year only or next year only try to make something that that will be classic i mean because you're gonna you're gonna regret this forever it's gonna go out with the artwork looking like you know legend and there'll be the if you're not careful there'll be this ridiculous remix that's circa 2017 that's just gonna sound cheesy in retrospect so my and i think i succeeded in making something that that didn't fit any particular decade or whatever, I gotta say that your Bob Marley remix is brilliant. It's really dark as well. That, that's what's yeah, surprising. I, I, <laughs> I mean, I listen to the lyrics a lot. I, as I was listening to, I, I was trying to get some meaning out of it, and I thought, okay, what can I add? Um, and what you could add is to make know, it, that, a, yeah, a different mood. Like it, yeah, like hear the children crying. Let's get together and feel all right. That's so that's coming from a place of maybe things are not all right. The children you crying. Know, like, yeah, there would be no need for a song like that if there was one love already. So okay, there's there's room for some other expression in here. Let's play another song. Something else from the Mosul soundtrack. Um, my choice is 
if you're happy with that. Demons of War. Um, what what can you tell us mm. about Demons of War? Well, Demons of War. I, that's um, that is um, I believe the queue where um, this this Iraqi team of soldiers are sitting around a campfire at the end of, at the end of the day, and they're 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 telling stories around a campfire, and it's one of the most tragic, heartbreaking stories that i've ever heard um and it's about um a, a family is pinned down by isis in their home and they they try to escape um the mother has been killed by an isis sniper and there are two children and a father and they decide they're going to try and es- escape that village or that that little neighborhood and they're going to try and get to safety and they run across the street and one of the children is shot by the sniper in the father's arms. And he turns back to the house again with one child alive, one child dead. It's, it's so traumatic. Um, he gives the, uh, he gives the other child, the, the surviving child, a, a sleeping pill to try and calm them down and tries to decide what he's going to do next. He decides that after a while, he's going to bury one child and then try again with the surviving child. This time he makes it, he escapes. But when he reaches the security forces, he realized that he buried the wrong child. Oof. <laughs> now, I, I want to cry just telling that story. I get goosebumps from, like, I get a surge of adrenaline when I tell that story because it's so profoundly tragic. Yeah. And, it, and, it's the, and this is, these are real experiences of people in the modern age going through this un- under the conditions that they're in and um i mean the i think that i supported that story but i couldn't really add any more emphasis to that story with the music that i put in that scene so i mean how do you make music to support such such terrible tragedy and and by the way not actors this is this is a documentary We'll listen. Um, A powerful story and very powerful music as well. This is Demons of War.
I, I, so I wanted to ask as well, how how does the film world compare to the the music world? Are they very are they very different? I think they couldn't be any more different. <laughs> it's 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 pretty remarkable. Now that I've made that transition, I can see it must have been funny to have for, for film and TV people to hear me talking about what I would like to do with film and TV before I'd ever tried. It must have been hilarious. <laughs> because I mean it's it's such a different world. As an as an artist, you you, you it's ready ready when it's ready. Um, you know, it might take 18 months to write an album. Um, there's all kinds of pondering and re-listening and and and, de- and playing the music to people and getting feedback and then sitting on it for a while. Um, as soon as you hit film and television, you're a small a small team player in in a big machine, and you're just serving the bigger picture. Literally, you're serving the picture, and your music is 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 simply a supporting role. I mean, a, a crucial role, but you're not leading the charge in it by any means. So um, you go from being a completely, this thing flapping, you go from being someone flapping in the wind doing whatever you want day to day to being absolutely regimented, extremely efficient. And, you know, you're writing three albums of material a week and it's all good. Um, and you're writing it to somebody else's specification. It, it couldn't be more different. Do, do they sort of, do any of them know... Uh, about the music that you you did in the nineties, are any of them some drum bass um, fans, or have you encountered that? Yeah, yeah. That like they're occasionally, I'd say maybe one one in one or two in ten occasions, they're like, oh yeah, I bought your album back in the day or whatever, and that you know, but that doesn't actually have a, it doesn't relate to the project necessarily. They might just say, oh well, he's competent at making music, but I don't want that sound in my in my production but um clearly he can make music and have you met him he can communicate and we can get this done but it's not necessarily that people are out there looking for drummer bass you know i'm interested to ask what do you think of the state of drummer bass today i mean do you think it achieved its potential i think so i mean on honestly i get so little time to listen to any music other than what i'm working on now I'm definitely out of touch with all music, including drum and bass. Um, I get to dip in and out again, hear things, and I think, wow, the production has come so far. It's incredible. I mean, it's so advanced and, and so smart and, and, and uh, well executed. Um, and in that way, yeah, it fulfilled its potential. And have you have you have you been to a drum and bass club or seen like a massive drum and bass sort of arena go off recently? No, it's been a while. It's been a while. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's it's funny. I'm so um, I'm so absorbed in this world now that I, I'm I'm barely making it to a to a show. You know, it just doesn't happen. I'm I'm in the studio by six a.m. most days. <laughs> and, but do you feel proud with what you've with what you've achieved? And I mean, you, obviously you yourself, but also the other people who, who were pioneering this music in the 90s. Yeah, I'm, I'm very proud to have been part of that. Yeah, I, I do. I, 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 do, I do appreciate what that was. You know, it's, it's funny. I, I have this conversation occasionally and people say, hey, are you proud of what you achieved? And I think, well, I don't think that I really achieved anything, but I did contribute 
at a very particular moment in time, you know? So in that way, right place, right time happened to be in the right frame of mind to be part of that. But I don't, I don't feel like I achieved anything with that. I think I just, I was privileged enough to contribute to something that was important at the time, you know? And I think changed music significantly. And I think it was one of the first new music genres since rock and roll, almost. Truly new. You always had a sort of reputation at the time for being very cerebral. Was that fair, do you think? I mean, obviously you could dance to your music as well, but it was sort of, yeah, it had that cerebral image, for me anyway. Yeah, I think that, that that's reflective of me. You know, I will. Th- I try to think on different different levels and on different planes at all times. You know, and I try to live my life that way too. So I'm, you know, I try to maintain a balance. Hopefully, it wasn't seen as being cerebral at a detriment to being good music to the, for the club. So you know, hopefully, one didn't overshadow the other. I'm, I'm sure it did for some people. You know, when the term intelligent drum and bass came out, that was a bit awkward. <laughs> Because did that mean that other drum and bass was stupid? <laughs> you know, no, it, di- it didn't. It was just layered differently. I think it was so, John Peel, um, and, and and also my uh, um, and a lot of the, the the you know hardcore rave music that had come before. You would never call it intelligent music, but it was complex and it was it was sophisticated even though it was a bit rough around the edges. So I don't really know how, you know, how that whole intelligent drum and bass kind of thing, it didn't sit very well with me. I think it was John Peel that used to say, uh, well, if that's intelligent drum and bass, I'd like to hear stupid drum and bass, which I think was oh, quite... Yeah, maybe that's where I got it from. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, John Peel was one of the, you know, the first people to jump on my music and, you know, one of my early supporters. So, yeah, maybe I got that from him. Um, I wanted to ask as well, in, back in 2000, um, you released Solaris, um, which had a lot of very house influences. Um, brilliant album. Uh, how was the reaction of the drum and bass scene to that? It's funny. I think, I think almost all the producers who I knew and respected, they were like, oh, yeah, we get it. It's like a Chicago house thing. Yeah, wicked. And they and they all love that music too, so it was very, very normal. And they, you know, they're probably like, "Oh, not much drum and bass on this." Okay, next question: What you got for me on that? <laughs> <laughs> what can I play? And I'm like, oh, here you go. Here's the next thing. <laughs> so I, I think it was more people who make music got that very easily, whereas may, maybe like music buyers would find that frustrating. I think I understand that more later. You know, because I, I I have no doubt there were people who were frustrated that there wasn't much drum and bass on that album. And, you know, if I went to buy a, a Herbie Hancock album <laughs> and he released a new album and it was, I don't know, country, <laughs> I'd probably be pissed because <laughs> I've been waiting a long time. <laughs> you know, maybe that's not a good analogy, but, you know, I think you know what I mean. No, I, I think that I think that works. Um. Getting back to the soundtrack work, how how does it feel when you see your your music combined with images? Can you sit back and enjoy it, or do you just sort of sit there thinking, "Oh, that that synth could have been louder," or or, or something like that? Mm. Yeah, I mean, if if there's a mix issue, mainly it would be the music needs to be louder relative to to the dialogue and everything. That that's usually 
the experience for most composers, I think, is wow. You know, the music would would have added so much more to the picture had it been, you know, just three or six dB louder. It wouldn't have got in the way of the dialogue, you know. So if you get a bad mix or a super quiet mix, that can be that can take you out of the experience. But as you're working on the, the music, you get to do what you want. You can mute the dialogue. You can turn the dialogue down. And that's the best feeling ever. It's actually one of my favorite experiences. If you if you do a if you score a scene and you really love what you've done and you get to turn it up and, and, and really listen to how how it works with the picture and and watch that on a on a good system in the studio. I mean it's fantastic. I love it. It's a good feeling. It's interesting you say that, that a lot of composers, musicians, that they, they say that, you know, if only it was a little bit louder obviously you might say well they would say that because they want the, the music louder you know <laughs> yeah. it's, it's like every every dj turning the, themselves up i mean yeah. do, do you think there there isn't an element of that that I, that it should or, or do you genuinely think no actually really they they should turn turn that up I th- i've i've tried to i've tried to be uh play devil's advocate and just quite often i think well i know how powerful the scene was let's say i i think um not completely biased where i could say yeah well if you can't hear what that guy's saying you've lost an element of the story which is clearly more important but if it's not compromising dialogue and that music is in is um intensifying your experience of the picture and of the story then yeah bring it up and i i always wondered why in those circumstances people don't see that as, as being obvious and I guess there's, there's there's two reasons. One is that some people are just simply more visual. Um, you know, some are kinesthetic, some are visual, and some are audio. So undoubtedly, you're going to get a lot of visual people in film and television. So they're getting enough of an experience anyway. Just that there is some music there, and they're seeing the picture, and they're following the, the, the performances. So visually, they're, they're satisfied with the drama. Whereas an audio person needs a little more audio information to complete that picture. So that's one reason. And I think the other reason is that generally um, for, um, movie creators um, are partly writers. If not, they are the writer. And for them, the story is already there in words. So they also don't need the intensity of of the music they don't need the intensity to come from the music as much as an audio person would so so two two ways of looking at the same thing i guess so one last question um you've been very generous with your time what's what's next for you um what's next for me i have a final season of how to get away with murder the um viola davis show which has been um taken out up the last five years of my life and it's finally coming to its end on its sixth season um i also have another show which is just about to start up called station 19 it's a spin-off of Grey's anatomy it's a show about firefighters in seattle and then i have a really exciting new show called into the night which is a netflix production um which is very interesting it's a very international cast multilingual um very cool. Very excited to see how that's turning out. I just got my first first rough cut of that um, last week. Lovely. 
Okay, so we're going to play out with one with one track. Thank you so much uh, for taking the time today. Um, for the last track we're going to play out, we've talked about loads and loads and loads of things. We talked about drum and bass, house, remixes, soundtracks. What 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 one song should we play out with from from your career? And why? Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> How about "Can't Come Down" from Solaris, featuring Robert Owens? And why that? Well, we were talking about Solaris, and I suddenly <laughs> remember that. So, remember that song, and it is a beautiful yeah. song. Yeah, that's a nice way to go out. Perfect, Rupert Fotek. Thank you so much. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. Hustle in my mind, just the two of us.